We're going to take a look at Psalm 59 today, uh, and uh, I was uh, getting impression from the Lord that I should uh, set this up with a context for that psalm, uh, because we haven't looked at David for a long time. But we're going to uh, have a PowerPoint uh, first to set the context. So I'm a visual person, so I've compiled some images to get you to where uh, Psalm to get you to where the context of Psalm 59 is set. And uh, I was going to tell you that these are actual photos taken at the time. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, I tried to find pictures that would set the stage for what was really going on. But uh, I have to tell you, they're not actual photographs. So yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Um, context first is that um, God reject, God was rejected as king by the Israelites. He had set up judges um, uh, throughout the, the book of Judges, and Samuel was the last judge, and the Israelite says, we don't want to judge anymore. We want to be like the nations, and uh, we want a king. Uh, God says, no, you don't want a king. Do you know what a king's going to do to you? He's going to raise your taxes. He's going to take, take and start wars. Uh, his kids are going to be worthless. And that's pretty much uh, the Game of Thrones, right? I never understood why people wanted to watch that, because all you got to do is open up a history book and think, Ugh. that's one of the things, even though I taught history for years, I hated uh, to, to have to talk about kings and queens and uh, the, the trying to keep uh, their kingdom and their queendom through uh, trying to massacre uh, their brothers and sisters and everybody else. So anyway, that's a part of history I didn't enjoy. So God picks out Saul as king, and uh, he's tall. He looks like a king. Uh, but there comes a time when Saul refuses to obey God, and he steps up and does the priestly duties, which he's told, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And he does. And uh, so God says, nope, you're not, your son is not going to continue the line, and you are rejected as king before me. So Saul, here he's, Saul is trying to beg Samuel, please, please, I'll be good this time. And uh, this is not the first time. And Samuel says, no, no, you're not going to be, your, your son is not going to be king after you. So um, the Lord departed from Saul and declared that his family would not continue um, the, the line after him. So next, uh, you have all heard about David and Goliath. And I like this image because it, the passage talks about um, Saul starts charging at David uh, as, uh, as he's mocking him. But uh, just a couple of scriptures that, uh, uh, that I'd like to read here. First Samuel 17, 26, David goes to bring food to his brothers. And uh, the Philistines are gathered on one hill and the Israelites are gathered on the other. And David asked the men standing near him, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That's a great line, isn't it? And then Goliath, when he sees David coming at him, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? What is this, a game? He's just a pipsqueak. What is he, half my height? He's a youth, probably a teenager, right? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. 
Talk about trash talking. Wow. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head, for the battle is the Lord's. How did that turn out? Pretty good. Oh, kind of gruesome though, right? Yeah, we don't want any pictures of that. Um, so David experienced success on the battlefield and growing popularity with the people. And uh, one of the hit tunes, number one, with the Israelites was Saul has slain his thousands and David is tens of thousands. Talk about gruesome. Anyway, we're talking about a country that uh, Israelites that had been beaten up and beaten up and beaten up for years. And now they are defending their country from uh, the Philistines. And Saul's response in verse 8, you see him off to the left there? Um, he was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, but me with only thousands. Oh, my. Poor guy. What more can he get but the kingdom? And then it goes on a little bit later and says, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. Now, Saul at any point could have said, okay, Lord, I understand I'm not going to con continue on as king. And I understand that my son's not going to be king, but I'd like to repent. And uh, even if I'm not going to be king, I could still serve you. He could have done that, but uh, that's not part of who he is. So Saul becomes moody. Uh, yeah, really moody. And uh, he, uh, somebody suggests, you know what is really good is, David plays music. Just bring him in to play music and maybe you'll be less moody. You ever been around somebody that's jealous, envious, and moody? Oh boy. Uh, please, I'd like to leave the room. Can I go serve out in the provinces? Anyway, it uh, temporarily helped, but uh, Saul becomes violent towards David and he tries, twice tried to kill him. He threw his uh, uh, spear at him and tried to kill him. And David, you know, after this happens once, do you think he'd go back? Uh, do you want me to play music for you again, uh, sir, king? Yeah, yeah, why don't you try it again? So uh, David goes back and he tries to kill him again. And then uh, the next thing is that um, Saul had uh, a couple of daughters and one Michal, Michael, whatever, Saul's daughter, Michal, was in love with David. And when they told Saul about it, he was pleased. I will give her to him, he thought, so that she may be a snare to him. What is she like? Um, and so that the hand of the Philistine. What do you know? Same old test. Do I trust God or not? You know what? It'd be nice if I would respond right away instead of my default time that, uh, hey, next time, Lord. I am going to remember this and I'll respond positively. But the problem is the test does not come in exactly the same way. Just give me the same exact test, right? But he mixes up the answers and he introduces some new question and it's rephrased and you think, okay, maybe I'm not that sharp. Um, I would like to be able to praise God in the midst of the test. Not come back later on and say, I would have praised you if I knew it was coming. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't. Um, so here in Psalm 59, we see David's heart during a difficult trial. 
Um, how does he respond when uh, King Saul has become jealous of David's uh, popularity? Um, it reveals David's inner life uh, with God as he struggles with unfair treatment and outright attacks. So let's uh, take a look at uh, uh, the New International Version of verses 1 through 7. If you could go to um, New IV for, NIV for uh, verse 1 through 7. For the director of music to the tune of Do Not Destroy of David, a miktam, when Saul had sent men to watch David's house in order to kill him. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, Lord. I have done no wrong, yet they're ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look on my plight. You, Lord God Almighty, you who are the God of Israel, rouse yourself to punish all the nations. Show no mercy to wicked traitors. They return at evening, snarling like dogs and prowl about the city. See what they spew from their mouths. The words from their lips are sharp as swords, and they think, who can hear us? The title in ver is verse 1 in the Hebrew of Psalm 59. It was not added later. And the introduction refers to 1 Samuel 19, which we've just looked at in the context, as we've said, is David's aware that Saul's hitmen are outside and they're waiting for him to come out of the house in the morning to kill him. There's seemingly no way of escape. He's there with his wife. And uh, David was the one that introduced choirs and choir directors in the, um, in the worship of Israel. Um, and he already knew a popular tune of Do Not Destroy. So he took a song that people already knew and introduced uh, different lyrics to it added new lyrics. And when I was looking up the term miktam, it's an uncertain uh, term, but it seems likely that it means a golden truth. So one of the questions for me from, for you is, have you ever felt uh, like people were setting a trap for you and you had nowhere to turn? That's a horrible feeling. There's times uh, when people have set traps for me and uh, somebody came up to me, a, a vice president and a head of department says, Gary, we'd like to, you to be a sacrificial lamb. I'm thinking, what? <laughs> what? What is that? Anyway, um, they gradually close in and tighten the noose and you have nowhere to turn and you've run out of options. And that's where we find David at the beginning of uh, Psalm 59. And this is one time that David uh, has done nothing wrong. He's not claiming sinless for perfection, but he's innocent of the charges of disloyalty uh, against the king. And dogs in the Old Testament are not the cute uh, pet Muffy uh, that cuddles with its owner. <laughs> uh, no, packs of dogs came out at night and were vicious. They were dangerous. They were scavengers. You didn't want to meet them in the shadows. Uh, they're growling. They're snarling. Uh, they're howling. They're just wait to tear you apart. And he pictures these dogs as wanting to tear David apart. These hitmen also think that they're going to get away with it. Notice what they say. They say, who can hear us? They think God is not even a part of the equation. Um, 
perhaps um, you're, you uh, are aware that it seems like there's times when evil people get away with things and God simply looks the other way. Doesn't that seem like it appears that way at times? So David acknowledges that such people are after him and he appeals to God to hear him and to act on his behalf. In verses 8 through 13, God can be trusted even if a pack of snarling dogs surrounds him. In verses, verse 8 it says, But you laugh at them, Lord. You scoff at all those nations. You are my strength. I will watch for you. You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. God will go before me and will let me gloat over those who slander me. But do not kill them, Lord, our shield, or my people will forget. In your might, uproot them and bring them down. For the sins of their mouths, for the words of their lips, let them be caught in their pride. For the curses and lies they utter, consume them in your wrath. Consume them till they are no more. Then let it be known to the ends of the earth that God rules in Jacob. We may feel threatened by this pack of dogs, but what is God's reaction? He is not impressed. And he laughs at them in derision. Their futile plans for an ambush are pitiful and they will come to nothing. David will not cower in fear. He recognizes that in the moment he can trust God in this difficult times. Verses nine and 10 seem to be the turning point in the Psalm. Um, here David looks with hope towards God's deliverance. He says, I watch for you. He trusts God completely while the hitmen are outside. We too can adopt this attitude when others try to intimidate this. I want to do this. I want to trust God while the dogs are snarling outside. And I'm going to ask you to join me. I think David wants to gloat in verse 10 to bring attention to God's glory, not to draw attention to himself. He wants to say, look what the Lord has done. You acted as if God does not even see what you're doing, but the Lord sees all and he acts for his people. Verses 11 through 13 go beyond the incident in in 1 Samuel 19 to the time when David is king over Israel. It seems like a strange request. He says, don't wipe them out, O God, but use them as an object lesson. Show people what happens when they reject God and revert to pride. Then wipe them out. Does that seem odd to me? But we know that laughter is not the only response, the Lord's only response to rejection him. Um, in Luke 19, Jesus weeps over the people who reject him. We know that God has compassion on people. And if we remember that once we were foolish, we were deceived and we were opposition in opposition to God. We know why that's his response. Proverbs 6, 8, 16, 18 says pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall. Is there a connection between pride and failure? What do you think it is? Think about it for just a minute. If a person is arrogant, they become overconfident. They also underestimate others. They behave as if God doesn't hear. They behave as if God will not involve himself. I have seen this happen repeatedly 
as I have studied history. Some people have said that I take too much glee in watching how God deals with arrogant dictators in history. I, take a, I make a point of pointing it out in history. Arrogant dictators think that they have all power. No one can oppose them. Even God is powerless to oppose them, they say. Well, now you've stepped across a line. You have defied the living God. Uh, now, mind you, they do a lot of damage. But remember, how long was Adolf Hitler's thousand-year Reich? Twelve years. That's pretty good, Adolf. We see one such individual in Eastern Europe right now who's ordered the invasion of Ukraine. How do you think this will end up? He's checked the boxes. Arrogance, acting as if God doesn't see. I believe Proverbs 3.34 is the operating principle. It's also quoted in James and in 1 Peter. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. If we look at verses 14 through 17... They return at evening, snarling like dogs and prowl about the city. They wander about for food and howl if not satisfied. But I will sing of your strength in the morning. I will sing of your love for you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. You are my strength. I will sing praise to you. You God are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. And let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word and the example of David of just complete abandonment, unreserved, unreserved trust in you. And we pray that you'd remind us when we're in that situation that uh, we can trust you and uh, help us to open our eyes for the opportunity to praise you in the midst of a circumstance like that. We know it doesn't come often. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.